You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is your host, Stephen Roach. This is season six, episode 14. Our personal histories are marked by encounters with beauty and pain, complexities of emotion and circumstance, of hope and heartbreak and longing. For some of us, putting pen to page is how we come to understand and find meaning in our own experiences. Writing the stories of our lives provides a bridge between the solitude of individual experience into a communal sharing and identification. For some, writing can become a form of therapy or a way to grapple with a tumultuous past and find freedom for a new way of seeing. In this episode, I talk with memoirist and essayist Sunel Barnes about memoir as an agent of healing and how her process of writing helped navigate the impact of childhood trauma. Sunel is the author of Monsoon Mansion, a memoir, and Malaya, Essays on Freedom. Her books explore her own stories of growing up amidst war and poverty in an opulent mansion in the Philippines and the difficulties of coming to America as an undocumented immigrant. Through a tangle of tragedy and betrayal, her stories reveal a revelatory journey of perseverance and strength, of grit and beauty, and of coming to terms with the complex relationships of family. Patrons of the podcast can enjoy an additional interview segment with Sunel outlining practical steps of memoir writing for any of you writers out there who are interested in learning the craft and what it takes to get your story from the pen to page to publication. This episode of Makers and Mystics is sponsored by our friends at the 611 Network. 611 is a global network of abolitionists committed to seeking the spiritual and physical freedom of those enslaved by human trafficking. You can find out more information about 611 by visiting 611network.com or by following the link in the show notes of this episode. Thank you so much for listening. This is my interview with memoirist Sunel Barnes. So I'm sitting in the beautiful home of Sunel Barnes in Charleston, South Carolina, and I'm thrilled to have you on Makers and Mystics with me today. I'm so thrilled to be here, and it doesn't feel real because I listen to this podcast. Amazing. I love it. <laughs> well, we've been trying to have this conversation for over a year now, I think. <laughs> so this is a very special time. But I'm a fan of you as a writer, and I'm excited to introduce you to the Makers and Mystics audience. It's so surreal because I listened to this podcast through the writing of my first and second books. And many times when I thought I was going to quit... A lot of um, your guests have offered insight and, you know, hope, really. And so that's carried me forward and carried me to this point. And now you get to encourage others that are going to listen to this one. (laughs) Well, I know that a large part of your writing involves writing about your own story. You've written memoir as well as essay. But you've also pulled from some of your own tumultuous past. And I'm referring primarily to your first book, which is Monsoon Mansion. Mm -hmm. Tell us some about that book. Every time someone asks me to tell them about this book, I never know what to say because it's 12 years of my life that I never spoke about, not since I moved to America. 
And so when I have to answer that question, I come back to well, why is the title what it is? And monsoon, because I'm from the tropics, endless summer, but also endless rain. And when it rained, it was a biblical proportion and magnitude. And there was a typhoon or, or a monsoon that flooded my childhood home early in the 90s. And that kind of was the beginning of the end of my family. But the monsoon was also my mother, who was just this, I think in the book, I call her a deluge because that really was what she was and still is just rains and blasts through everything and so really it's a story about my having grown up with this mother who was and is a criminal who was and is mentally ill but was and is beautiful and comes from a long line of um, our version of aristocrats and government and military leaders in a post-Spanish republic in the middle of the Pacific. Wow. So she brings with her a whole lot of history and just kind of stormed into our home life like that, along with the actual storm that flooded this mansion that I grew up in. And you know, the second, and that's the second word in the title is mansion. So I grew up in this, um, depending on how you count it, ten bedroom house that had its own gym and ballroom and disco and a separate breakfast room from the dining room um, with the maids' quarters and all that. And it was so large that I could type the name of the general area that it was in in the Philippines and could see it immediately without zooming in, you know, too close on Google Earth. It was basically an estate. And when my father left and I was left with my mother, um, really I was left to fend for myself in this mansion that eventually didn't have power or running water or food or parental supervision of any sort. So I just raised myself in the, in the shell of a house after or through really two storms. And so I would imagine that putting this story, I mean, just hearing what you've just said is, is so compelling and so moving. Tell me some about the creative process of mm-hmm. distilling such an experience into a form of art. Yeah. So not very many people know that before I was a writer, I was in the fashion industry. And it was actually my then boyfriend, now husband. We met freshman year of college. And somehow the very first conversation we ever had was tell me something nobody else knows. And I'm like, oh crap. (laughs) (laughs) Are you sure (laughs) you want to hear this? And so he had been holding this story you know with me for i would say maybe six seven years from when we met to when um, we got married and then had a child and after i gave birth great pregnancy i would go through pregnancy again i'm not so sure that i would go through new motherhood early motherhood again because it was so difficult But, you know, for the longest time, I thought, okay, maybe I have postpartum depression, which we started to acknowledge. 
and I would just cry every day. I was, I was so happy, and I, but yet something felt so heavy around me all the time. And it got to a point where my husband didn't know how else to help me than to tell me to go back to my writing. So when we first met and he said, tell me something nobody else knows, I actually told him two things. One, all I've ever wanted to do was write. Mm. But I'd been writing since I was seven. Um, I've been in essay writing contests since I was 11. Then I kind of ran away from it because writing is so hard. So I went into the fashion industry. And the second thing I told him was the story of my childhood. And fast forward six, seven years later, I have a baby and and suddenly it feels like, yeah, I'd given birth to this human who with her in her contained all of these memories that you know, I, it felt like giving birth had opened the floodgates of memory. Mm-hmm. And now I tell people when I give talks, you know, like birthing is a physical exercise, but it's also a spiritual exercise. And that DNA that carries millions of memories from several generations are compacted into this human being that's just passing through you, that's made in you and then passes through you. And this whole time I was like, no, that sounds weird. Like why, you know, memories passing through what does that mean like i started talking in this way and my husband would be like no i believe you no i believe you like memories are passing through you you have just birthed memories Mm. and he said why don't you every time you sit down to nurse the baby because you know who has the time to write books right (laughs) but it's like why don't you sit every time you sit down to nurse the baby why don't you write on an index card so he got me these index cards from CVS. <laughs> they were three by five, so they weren't um, intimidating. And he said, it's big enough for you to write on, but small enough that it's not intimidating. Hmm. You can write a word or a phrase or a sentence or a paragraph every time you sit down. Just write something. So I stayed diligent about that. And by the time that baby was a year and a half, I had three shoe boxes full. Wow. Had I started feeling better? A teensy bit. And so that's when we decided I need to go to therapy. So I went into therapy and of course, my therapist, who is also one of the prayer leaders or prayer pastors at our old church, and was also so spiritually gifted in prophecy. And I don't even know if it's an actual spiritual gift, but she could she can just read your mind and read into your past, mm-hmm. you know? Of course, she was also an English major and was herself a writer. So after I went through kind of my own pre-MFA in my in the nursery, writing on the armrest of the rocking chair, went into sitting in the therapist's chair, telling her all my memories, telling my therapist all my memories, and then her telling me that the next time I see her, I needed to have written the chapter. Mm-hmm. So every two weeks I would write a new chapter or at least part of a chapter. And that went on for another two years. So at this point I'd been writing what would become a book for three and a half, almost four years. And then my husband said, what if this is a book? You know, what if this is God telling you that what he told you when you were 11, this was the beginning of it. What did he tell you when you were 11? When I was 11, uh, my mom and I at this point were living in a, in a van. 
And I remember very clearly it was raining, pouring, pouring. And, you know, we had nothing. We had no food. I had maybe two sets of clothes and books. That's all I had in the back of the van where we lived. And I played and I did my homework. And I very clearly remember hearing audibly God saying, you're going to write a book. You're going to write many books. And you're going to get out of here. And forgot about that, you know, until more than 20 years later. And my husband's like, you're very structured. As a creative, you're actually very (laughs) structured. You're like, you have this fantastical world in your mind, but you're very structured on the outside. So what will help you take that next step? And I thought, you know, a program, something that has deadlines, someone that, something that requires me submitting something to someone and someone keeping me accountable. And so I applied for MFAs. And that MFA was about two years long. So at this point, it was almost six years. And so that was once a month I would turn in something, mm-hmm. something new. Did you find that writing these painful memories and, and revisiting all that you went through as a child, did you find that it gave you a new understanding or a renewed perspective on what you went through? What changed in you as you revisited these memories? Yeah, you know, I feel like every time I pick up the book, it's a different experience for me. And I wonder if it's the same for other people that pick up the book, but there's an essay in my second book called Why I Write Memoir. And the essay starts with, I write because I am the last to remember. And then it kind of segues into how my mother has forgotten because she has dissociative personality disorder. So she goes in and out of personas and her memory is skewed if it's even there at all. And then my father doesn't remember much or remembers differently because he's also had two strokes. And my brother also doesn't remember much or remembers differently or remembers it differently each time he allows himself to because he has also become drug dependent and has mental health issues of his own. But writing the book kind of gave me a sense of being the lucid one and um, being the responsible one and being the one who's no longer a slave to the past. My therapist was very adamant about me writing the book because she believed that much of PTSD is just displaced emotion. It's a displaced reaction to something in the past. That's what triggers are, where um, something in the present warps you out of the present and takes you back to the past, to some disconnected past, you know, and um, when trauma happens, your narrative memory becomes separated from your emotional memory. That's why, you know, people that survive car crashes don't remember the crash. They just remember waking up when they're at the hospital or, you know, their arm is severed and they don't know why. But that's what trauma does to us. And what writing does is it connects the narrative with the emotional. You know, that's what good writing is. Good writing is giving the specifics, the details of the physical, of the sequential, and then infusing that with 
with what is felt or what was felt or what is being felt now or what you perceive to you you might feel in a day or two in a year or so or when you finish this this book and that's what writing did to me is that it, it brought those two together and that really is what it means to heal from your past to know this feeling or this thought or this fear is rooted in this event and I'm no longer there right and I can make choices that can protect me from that from that happening again well you've mentioned that your therapist was a woman of deep spiritual gifting Uh I'm curious to know how your own spiritual journey played into this story and if that played a part in your healing or in your creative process yeah definitely I mean every detail of this book has been serendipitous really and and I attribute it to really God's work in my life and um, when some people meet me and they say oh my gosh you're so full of hope you're so full of faith and I actually it's it's I think it's the other way around I think (laughs) I've been shown faithfulness and I've been shown the face of hope and I've been shown mercy and I've been shown um, all these wonderful things and and it's it's carried me through these really really difficult circumstances and the writing of the book itself has become so supernatural we'll return to our conversation with Sunil Barnes in just a moment but before we do I wanted to personally invite you to get tickets to this year's The Breath and the Clay Creative Arts Gathering, taking place March 20th through 22nd in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Join Will Reagan, Cageless Birds, Scott Erickson, John Mark McMillan, and the Makers and Mystics podcast, along with many of the guests on our show, and spend a weekend investing in your creative and spiritual life. Your soul needs it. Visit thebc2020.com for details. Your story is reminding me of a book that I found in an old secondhand shop in Boulder, Colorado. And one of my favorite pastimes, every city that I travel to, I have to find the secondhand bookshop yes. and I just go and get lost in there for a couple hours. So this book that I found there is one called Healing Fiction hmm. by James Hillman. And he talks about our need to historicize our memories. Mm-hmm and the experiences we go through. And the book says, I need to remember my stories, not because I need to find out about myself, Mm -hmm. but because I need to found myself in a story, like a foundation. I need to found myself in a story I can hold to be mine. I also fear these stories because through them, I can be found out. My imaginal foundations exposed. Repression is built into each story as the fear of the story itself, the fear of the closeness of the gods in the myths which found me. The art of therapy requires a skillful handling of memory. Mm. Memory heals into imagination. I love that line. Memory heals into imagination, which frees memories into images. As we muse over a memory, it becomes an image, shedding its literal historical facticity and opens into the stuff of which art is made. Mm -hmm. And I I thought about that quote, uh, thinking of your story and how even your writing process 
has been such a process of helping you walk through post-traumatic stress disorders. Mm -hmm. And uh, speak into that a little bit for me. What does that quote make you think? It makes me think of more quotes. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do it. (laughs) And I'm, um, I'm flipping through a book that I was actually reading, or I've reread many times while writing um, both Monty Mansion and Malaya, and it's called The Art of Time and Memoir, Then Again, by Sven Burkertz. And I'll read a couple of quotes, but it makes me think of this quote. Memoir begins not with event, but with the intuition of meaning, with the mysterious fact that life can sometimes step free from the chaos of contingency and become story. Wow. Right? I think... Whether it's a happy memory or a painful memory, what we're all longing for is for those experiences to be seen and acknowledged, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And writing, one, is the person acknowledging their own story themselves. And two, once it's shared, it's an opportunity for someone else to acknowledge it and just say, I see you or I see that, or man, that was hard, Mm -hmm. you know, or wow, what a great story, or let's celebrate that, or that made me happy, that made me smile, that made me tear up. Um, It's that kind of stepping free from contingency. Trauma doesn't have to have purpose. You know, in fact, most trauma doesn't have purpose. Um, I think it's kind of cruel to think that you've been put through this really difficult thing for you to learn something or for you to like come out of it a certain way. I don't think that's true. I think that's actually very, very damaging. And it really comes out of a very Western consumerist mindset that for something to have value, for something to be worthwhile, it has to be purposeful, right? It's very pragmatic. I think memoir is beyond that. Memoir is just saying whether or not something came out of this, it is meaningful and that it is yours and that it is you and this lives in you. This is part of your DNA. This affects the way the telomeres on your chromosomes form and affect your aging process. You know, like this affects how susceptible you are to cancer or how quickly you recover from a cold, or how you might interact at a party, or how you might interview for a job, or it affects you know, the words that are in your lexicon, both professional and personal. And I think that is why I write, and I think that is why people read, to be seen and to be told, whoever you are, whatever you are, all that's meaningful. One of the things that I love about your story and honestly just about art in general is the ability to hold beauty and tragedy in the same space, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. to be able to revisit something like that. And as you were drawing contrast between the beauty of the hibiscus Mm -hmm. and and the decoration and then the gun shells, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, we don't easily hold beauty and tragedy in the same space. And I think when you're talking about that tendency to look for the moral to the story Mm -hmm. or you know Mm -hmm. or that purpose as you're talking about sometimes we just need to be able to hold beauty and tragedy Mm -hmm. in the same space Mm -hmm. you know yeah yeah and and let those things hold us too Mm -hmm. 
you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about movies. <laughs> You're allowed to talk about whatever you want to talk about. <laughs> I, I just saw 1917 last I love night it. with I my husband. It's yeah. so good. Yeah, it's good. And the whole time, I didn't know if I wanted to cry or laugh. Mm-hmm. So I did both <laughs> throughout. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's a one-shot film, right? Yes. And throughout, you just see that a as soon as something joyful or beautiful happens, tragedy follows. And as soon as something tragic happens, you know, something hopeful comes. And one of my favorite scenes is uh, the corporal. He's just fallen in a river. At this point, he's separated from his belongings. He's gone under the water. He's just trying to survive. And he finally gets to a quieter part of the river, to more like a stream, and there's cherry blossom. Yes, I remember that Yeah, saying. floating, and how it was just so peaceful. We just go from rip current to cherry blossoms. And then immediately after the cherry blossoms, he slams up against dead bodies. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and then such a picture. Th- such a picture, and then he, he tries to crawl over these dead bodies, and as soon as he's on land, he's just crying. He's just, he's just, he's done. He, he, at this point, I'm thinking he's going to kill himself. Like he's done. He's not going to get this message to the second line or the front of the line. And he's just going to give up. And then you hear someone singing. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought this is what great movies or great stories are made of. It's beauty and tragedy all at once. Snell, thank you so much for spending this time with me on Makers and Mystics. Thank you so much. This is so fun. (laughs) I want to do it all the time. Let's do it. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. Be sure to see the show notes of this episode for links to Snell's work and to join the Makers and Mystics Creative Collective. If you haven't gotten your tickets yet to the Breath in the Clay Creative Arts Gathering taking place March 20th through 22nd in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, be sure to get your tickets today before they sell out. And if you've been inspired by this podcast, please consider becoming a monthly patron or leaving us a review on iTunes. Music for this episode is provided by A Boy and His Kite and Songs of Water. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week.